I suck at jujitsu. How do I suck less? This is Josh McKinney, and I just want to welcome you to the newest episode of the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show. So today, first off, Merry Christmas. This will be the last time I'm talking to you guys before Christmas. And instead of doing a, a Christmas special, I thought I would do something different. I thought I would do, you know, in this winter time for most of us where it's freezing and we just want to get to warm weather, thought I would do some hot takes. And so um, what that was, was I just asked people on my Instagram, um, give me some strong opinions you have uh, about jujitsu. And I said I would answer the best and the worst because um, some of these hot takes are a little bit rough around the edges. And so um, with that, I just thought that this would be a fun episode where people could could vent and you just get so many strong opinions that I think are shared a lot you know there there's kind of um for me even though age wise i am still part of uh of of the newer generation of jiu-jitsu you know how long i've been training i am kind of more part of the last generation of jiu-jitsu and so um i've gotten to see a transition happen a couple times and there are certain things that i just um I think if people have been around long enough, they can recognize them and they can say, okay, this isn't, this isn't true. This isn't, uh, these, these cycles keep happening in our martial art. And, uh, I think we're going to kind of get into that because, uh, there's just all kinds of different opinions now that float around jujitsu and just like anything else, if you don't share my opinion, you're a complete idiot and I hate you and you're completely wrong. And there can never be any gray area in anything um, with how with how people and with how society looks at, at anything relevant nowadays, including our martial art, including jujitsu. And so um, I just wanted to kind of look at some of these hot takes and uh, poke some fun at some of them and... You know, I agree with, honestly, a good amount of them, too. But I'm just going to talk about them and share them with you guys. And I think this should produce a really fun episode. And so I actually, generally when I do this, I have a, um, uh, like, I put everything into a Google Doc and I choose which ones I'm going to answer. But I really just screenshotted, like, as many of these as I could. And um, I think it would be fun to just kind of go through the ones. I'll skip some, I'm sure. Um, but I just thought it'd be fun to go through the ones that I think will, uh, one, produce really good YouTube shorts. And two, um, are fun are fun, uh, fun ideas. So let's go ahead and start with drilling is fake and a waste of time. So this is something, you know, if you've, if you've listened to the show for a long time, I've always kind of had a, a bit of an anti-drilling, um, uh, uh, anti-drilling like ideal on the show. You know, I kind of have always pushed that um, if if you're doing rounds, uh, if you're doing a lot of drills with uh, what we call deadpan drilling, um, drilling with absolutely no resistance. Uh, it's probably not the most effective use of your time. And I still, I stand by that. I don't think that drilling things repetitively 
is the most effective use of time. Now, I think that that door is now swinging the opposite. When I was saying this literally four years ago when I started the podcast, five years ago, who knows how long this podcast has been around. Um, but when I was saying this when I started the podcast, I would get so much hate on, you know, like, oh, no, you just are lazy. You need to be drilling repetitively, whatever. And now um, the door has swung in the opposite direction. Now it is, like, very common for people to say, like, no, any drilling is fake. It is useless, just like uh, just like this commenter gave us this hot take. Um, and I don't think you can – I don't think you can rightfully say that for sure. And my argument against it is – there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people that still drill. And not only that, there are so many high-level guys that still drill and believe that it is something that really helps them. And uh, even uh, you know, a lot of really good high-level world champions, they drill, and they drill repetitively, and they drill in different ways. And so to say, like, no, um, science says that it's not, I just don't buy it. Uh, you know, like, cause we can look around and we can say, okay, well then how come the no drill people aren't winning everything? Right. Because, um, for me, I mean, don't get me wrong for me, I haven't drilled something repetitively since purple belt. So it's been seven years since I've drilled something repetitively. I have gotten substantially better at jujitsu. You cannot say the other side that you have to drill to get good, but I've still been neck and neck with a lot of competitors that attribute a lot of their success to drilling. And you can't take away from the fact that I did spend my first seven years drilling repetitively. Now, that being said, I have students that have never drilled repetitively and are have gotten better faster than I did coming up. And so you can't say either way, like you can't say like, oh, no, so you have to drill to have a foundation. Um, but this is kind of how I look at it now. I think that resistance should increase as you become more proficient at a move, right? As you get better at a move. And so, um, uh, but to do that, you know, this is why, this is where designated winner came from, was because I think that there is still a gap between deadpan drilling and put this into a positional spar or even an ecological approach of, you know, playing a game or whatever, which is, is kind of a positional spar, right? Where we have this determined beginning and end, and we're trying to accomplish a specific goal. Now, so to say that like, oh, well, you, yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't drill. I think, you know, you should drill, but most people, it only takes four or five reps of, of trying something to start to get it a little bit and then adding a little resistance is is generally the answer this is why i love designated winner this is why i think that you know and obviously this is my just my argument this is why i think that designated winner is truly the missing piece um when it comes to getting good faster when it comes to the missing piece in training method designated winner is that gap between your deadpan drill and your positional spar uh and so yeah that's just my thought on it um, so here's another hot take, and I guess we're just attacking the ecological approach uh, to start, but this one I completely disagree with, um, that techniques aren't real. I am, uh, I completely think this is wrong. Uh, so many people want to say, you know, and I totally agree that no technique is done the exact same twice in a row, but 
if I teach my students, okay, um, and I am a fully conceptual teacher, um, the way I teach guard passing, the uh, the chest over chest instructional, I guess not instructional, the chest over chest uh, seminars that I am pushing to you guys all the time, those are completely conceptual. But the problem is, if I don't show you, I've also spent four years, five years with these concepts, uh, uh, making things work and making things happen with these concepts. And so if I'm going to say, well, here is the thing. Uh, if I show you guys a technique, it's going to stifle your creativity, and then you're going to only want to do what I showed you. Yeah, that's probably a good thing. You're probably a moron. You know, it's, you don't you're not watching these instructionals as a white belt going like, oh man, I just have all this creativity saved up. I can't wait to create all kinds of new guard passes. Um, I can say, hey, the goal is the guard pass. This is the things that you need to accomplish in order to get the guard pass. Here are some ways that I accomplish these that are very creative already. And that's not to say that you are not allowed to do something different, um, but to say that like, oh, well, you can't do a technique or I can't show you a technique because um, this is just my way and it just works for me. It's just not true. I show techniques that people pull off incredibly similar, even if it's not the exact same perfect thing, and you can make that argument that no technique is actually exactly the same each time. I can still do a knee cut, my specific way of doing a knee cut, and my students, because they understand the same concepts and the same ideas, perform a knee cut with their body type with the person that they're going with in the situation that they're fighting and it still has a lot of the same big points and big ideas that my knee cut had and so to act like like oh well that's not a technique I'm not saying when I teach a technique that I show that everything has to be done to the same inch that I do it right but then to say like oh well then it's not a technique I don't buy that you know that's like uh it's just, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that is true at all. It's like in the NFL, okay, there are all these routes that people run and you can always argue that like, yes, there is a level of feel in the routes that are being run. And so, you know, maybe no two routes are ever going to be exactly the same to the same centimeter in the same timing. But how come the quarterback is still able to blindly hit the wide receiver because they have some understanding, the same amount of understanding, and they can do it by feel, right? But if they call a curl route and the guy decides he's going to run a slant, the quarterback cannot blindly hit that wide receiver, right? Because there was some definition that was required, right? And in jujitsu, it is the same thing. So to act like, yeah, you shouldn't, shouldn't show any technique, I just don't buy it. I don't think that that is the most effective way to teach. Um, I think that, yes, there you can definitely get way too hung up in details, um, but to say that they don't exist, just don't buy it. Um, oh, man. So this one, this one's rough. Next hot take. Let ankle locks pop. It only hurts. It doesn't do any real damage. So uh, I also don't buy this. I, I've told this story before. My dad's been on the podcast, and he's told this story before. Um, he'll be back. He and Kyle Watson will be back uh, sometime in January to uh, to do an episode, and that'll be a really good one. Um, but And I'm sure my dad will bring this up. He loves bringing this up. So when we were blue belts, me at 
16 years old, you know, uh, I'm 16. I'm a moron. I told my dad this same thing, like, because someone had told me, yeah, you can't actually get injured from an ankle lock. It just hurts. And, um, you know, you just, you know, it won't, it won't do any long-term damage. And um, at Pans, he got, he got ankle locked. And he said that, you know, it was playing in his mind that his 16-year-old son told him, you're a punk if you tap to straight ankle locks. And his ankle was crunching and popping and hurting. And um, still to this day, 12 years later, he still has problems with that ankle. And so to say like, oh yeah, just just let that ankle pop. Um, yeah, that's terrible advice. And this is only advice given by 16-year-olds or people with 16-year-old joints. Um, as you age, you realize that that is, that is not true. Ooh, great hot take. All in caps, jiu-jitsu is Brazilian. So... A lot of Keenan Cornelius controversy. He pushed the American jiu-jitsu thing and and found a you know a, a newspaper clipping or an article or whatever um, showing that jiu-jitsu that American jiu-jitsu is actually a thing. Um, and then you know you get the pushback of other people being like, "Oh no, it's Brazilian." Um, my argument, my stance on this is, uh, who cares? Uh, so much, much of the reason people like to talk about this is because it's controversial. And, the you know, that's why, like, Keenan branded this is because it's controversial. He's able to find an old newspaper clipping and get us talking about him on social media and on all the podcasts. And he upsets the people that he, you know, have screwed him over at a lot of IBJJF tournaments. And it's... It's honestly, it's such a silly conversation. And these conversations are the things we talked about, um, things that rob you of joy in your jujitsu training. Getting hung up on the perfect terminology for even a technique or, or a movement, those most people, those will no, it's it's not that that's uh, not an important thing to do or you know, not something to or something to not focus on. But anytime you start to have emotional responses to what somebody calls jiu-jitsu, what somebody calls grappling, what somebody calls Brazilian jiu-jitsu or American jiu-jitsu or Gracie jiu-jitsu, it starts to steal the joy of actually doing jiu-jitsu. If you were to put that focus on being on the mats in training, you would just enjoy jujitsu so much more. And you can be cool with 10th Planet guys calling their jujitsu 10th Planet jujitsu. And it's like, it's this weird thing where we always want, where we always want our way to not only be the best way, but the only way of doing things. And that's like just all these questions that we've answered are um, these hot takes that we've had so far uh, about um, about drilling and about techniques and all these hot takes. They are just hot takes. Um, they're just these ideas saying like, I'm right and everybody else is wrong. And um, there's just, I don't know, there's just this level of vindication when you when you have something, when you have an idea that no, that nobody else shares, or you and only your group of friends share, um, and you know that's fine. But the problem with it is it robs you of the joy 
of doing jujitsu. It robs you. It actually steals your focus anyway. It's crazy how you go to any city in, in America and most of the jujitsu schools hate each other. And you start to dig deeper and like, well, why do you hate these guys? And most of the time, it's because they train slightly different. Who cares? You guys literally have 99% of the stuff in common because you both like to wear bathrobes and roll around on the ground or wear spandex and roll around on the ground. But because they wear bathrobes and we wear spandex or because they still shrimp up and down the mats, which is useless, and we don't do it, we only, we only do designated winner, we can't be friends with these people. You don't realize how much you have in common with those people because of your love for jujitsu. And so when you start to put all this other stuff of the terminology that we use or the instructors that we learn from or the affiliation that we are a part of and then put that in the way of the fact that you both love rolling around on the ground with other guys, you miss out so much on the enjoyment and the fun of jujitsu. And so... Is jiu-jitsu Brazilian? Can there be American jiu-jitsu? I don't know. But I really don't, in all honesty, I don't waste my thought process. I don't waste my time. I don't waste my focus with that stuff. Oof. I, w- I, I agree with this one, but I'm probably wrong. BJJ hot take. You don't have to do steroids to be good. Maybe not good, but to win high-level competitions especially in a weight class above 140 pounds, you'll probably have to do steroids, guys. I mean, it's just the way that it is. I'm doing my best. Me and the, the, um, the person that, that commented on this, I said I'm trying my best to prove that this isn't, uh, this isn't happening, that this isn't true, but it's not going well. You know, I'm trying to, trying to prove that you can – win anything without steroids, it's not going well. Uh, and you know, like I, I like to think that I like to think that the Rotolos are not on. Um, I like to believe those guys and they're winning big stuff. And so maybe it is possible. Maybe it is. Um, but man, what sucks is you just see so many of these guys that like, you know, it's, it's common for people to claim to not be on. And, like, everybody claims that they're not on. So then the problem is, like, who do you believe? Um, I think I buy those two, and then that's pretty much it. Uh, I, like I said, above above 140. I do think that, you know, above 145. I do think that some of the lighter divisions, that there are guys that are not on and still win. Um, but as you get heavier and then strength starts to matter more and more, and they're able, people are able to gain so much muscle and gain so much strength and like you know there there is as a competitor there is this level of frustration for me that's like you know I see guys that I not only was neck and neck with but was substantially better than even up until black belt and then all of a sudden one day they are just shredded they are just ripped and like it's very obvious, like, hey man, you know, you just you can comp- we've we've been side by side this whole time, always been better at jujitsu than you, and then all of a sudden you get huge and start to have so much success. And um, you see that and you just see it over and over and over again with so many different people. 
as a as an adult competitor, and it can be a bit discouraging. Um, but also on that same note, just like we talked about, when you obsess about what everybody else is doing, it clouds what your goal is, what your mission is. For me, I always, I've always said that I will do anything to to win at the highest level besides leave my home team, my hometown, and do steroids. Those two things, right? And um, uh, I'm really, I, I do not regret one single bit either of those decisions. I'm happy that I've made those decisions. Um, and uh, so I do, it, you know, but I do catch myself like being frustrated and being like, man, I, this guy sucked, you know, last year. And now all of a sudden he moved up two weight classes. He hit a 30-year-old growth spurt, and now he's great, you know. And um, as somebody who's done really well without, you're just like, should I, should I get on the steroids? But you know what? You, I think that so often that's just like that's this comparison, and that's this like, uh, um, you know, we talked about it before, the easiest way to – um, ruin something beautiful is to compare it to something else, right? And um, I know I, I know that in myself. That's something I shouldn't even worry about. People are going to do what they want to do. I have the things that I said that I won't, and I will continue on my path, you know? Whether that produces fake gold medals um, or not, whatever. Uh, but that's just, yeah, just my thought on it. Um, but yeah, most likely you can't be good. Uh, you can't be elite level grappler without doing steroids. Um, but who knows? Maybe we'll prove it wrong one day. Next one. There were so many. There were so many of these ones specifically. Um, and so I think this one kind of uh, this hot take ties in pretty well. So training in the gi is a waste of time because it is not applicable to in a real life scenario. Um, so that's a two-parter, right? Uh, training in the gi is a waste of time, but the reason is it's not applicable in a real life scenario. So my question then is, so is no gi applicable in a real life scenario? Like, well, yeah, because people don't walk around wearing gis. Yeah. But also you don't fight on mats. Have you ever honestly played guard on concrete? If you have ever, even just grappling on concrete, not in a real fight, but if you try to play a closed guard, um, any guard that requires movement, which is basically any guard, you cannot slide up and down concrete like you do mats, right? You cannot create the angles, especially with somebody else's body weight on you, like you can on mats. And then like, and this is with concrete, you know, you watch MMA fighters, MMA fighters, at this point in MMA, do not pull guard. Why? Because it is not applicable to a real fight. It is way more important to be on top in a real fight than anything else. Yes, it's important to not be able to not get hit. Uh, maybe that's more important. But then after not getting hit, it is being on top. And so um, the way jiu-jitsu is trained now, whether you're wearing a gi or not, if you want to split hairs, it is not applicable to a real life scenario, um, you know. And so, uh, but the truth is, for most people, 
being uh, having six months of jujitsu training where you have trained live, you will have so much more fight experience than almost any other average Joe, and you will probably be able to beat them in a fight, right? And I know that that's like you know a, a very little amount of jujitsu training, and it wouldn't matter if you were wearing a gi or you were wearing no gi. It really wouldn't. Most people just can't fight at all. Now, it's like if we start to say, well, what if you're fighting somebody who's tough? Well, yeah, if you're fighting somebody who's tough, you need to be better. You know, that's, that is, that it's like, it's like I have this comment on one of my videos, um, one of my sweeping positions that I uh, play, I, I post on YouTube. And one of the comments is like, I bet this wouldn't work on Khabib. Who has ever done anything in grappling that works on Khabib? So then to say like, oh, well, that is, you know, that's, I only, I only add stuff to my game that would work on Khabib. What are you adding to your game? I don't, I don't know what you're, what you're going to be using then. And so uh, it's so easy to say like, well, yeah, you need to do nogi if you want self-defense. It's just not true. You know, are people wearing spandex? Are you only fighting surfers? You know, like, no. You're not. And so um, the, the reason that jujitsu is so effective in a fight scenario, and I, I kind of look at two things. Obviously, jujitsu has submissions. Obviously, jujitsu has positional control. Obviously, so many fights will end up on the ground. You know, there is the jujitsu side of why jujitsu is effective in a real life scenario. But the other side of it is what other martial art can you train at 100% intensity that often, right? Like a fight is at 100% intensity. A real fight, a real-life scenario, it's at 100% intensity. And so if you are grappling at 100% intensity four days a week for six months, you are going to be so much more prepared for how a real-life scenario is going to feel and you're going to be so much better at once you connect to somebody, being able to hug them, being able to use the underhooks that you have with that connection to control that person. And so to act like, like, oh, well, yeah, if you play spider guard, you would never win a fight. It's like, if that's all you know how to do, but how many good spider guard players do you know that couldn't play close guard, that couldn't sweep somebody, that couldn't get on top, Right. That being said, if your goal is real-life scenario, you really should work from the feet, getting to clinches, and taking people down. Um, that, is, that is really important when you look at real fights, okay? Um, your hair is fake. This one's messed up. Um, it's not fake. It's real hair, man. It is, it is totally... Do you remember on WWE when... Um, Donald Trump and Vince McMahon, what a great, what now, I mean, looking back now, the fact that he became president after, what a great uh, feud that was, where Donald Trump came in, he had money falling from the, uh, the sky, he, you know, I think it was like Vince McMahon and Umaga versus uh, Donald Trump and Bobby Lashley, I think it was, and it was a loser shaves their head match. And Donald Trump had to prove that his hair was real by like running his fingers through his hair. Um, I one, I don't buy it. You know, he really, he was really light on when he ran his fingers through his hair. That could easily, you make billions of dollars, 
That could easily be a wig. But me, on the other hand, you guys have seen it. I just ran my fingers through my hair, and I really did it. You know, that's real hair, bro. Um, let's see where are we at. This one's um, this one's pretty aggressive. We should burn every Gracie Baja in the nation. I don't know why. I wish you would have given some context on why. Like, who hurt you? <laughs> did you did you have a match with Felipe Pena and he just beat you down or something? Like, w what happened? Uh, why would you, you know, why single out every Gracie Baja in the nation? Um, you can't tell me there's not one that you would like. Uh, yeah, who knows? That was a that was a really that was a really aggressive one. Um, let's see what other ones we got. Um, oh man, we got some good ones. We got like four or five more. We'll see if we can actually get through them. Cause I do have a listener mail question that we'll go through today. I agree with this. Having to wait until an upper belt asks you to train because you can't ask them dumb. Uh, so if you train at a school that's like that, that is like, um, you know, oh no, you cannot, you cannot train. Um, you, you have to, I don't know if you train at a school that, that basically is like, you cannot ask an upper belt to roll. I don't, I don't care for it. The reason I don't care for it is because if an upper belt doesn't want to roll with you, they can simply say no. And so it doesn't have to be this, like, don't, don't come and ask me to roll when I'm tired, right? Well, if you're tired, just don't roll with the person. You know, if you don't want to train with them, simply don't train with them. It doesn't have to be a big deal. You know, it doesn't have to be this, this big argument where it's like, well, yeah, you shouldn't. It's disrespectful for you to come up to me and ask me to roll. Um, I don't think it is. If I didn't want to roll with you, I just wouldn't, right? Like, why is that? Why is that so hard? Why is that disrespectful? Um, if I want to, if I would rather roll with somebody else, I will tell you. I'll probably yell at you. I'll probably make fun of you. I'll probably tell you to make a, take a lap. And then I'll probably tell, say one of my purple belts that's super tough and in way better shape than me. I'll be like, no, that guy's doing all my rounds today and then have him beat you up. But I really don't care if you ask me to roll. It's not a big deal. Uh, let's go ahead at this point. Let's go ahead and go to commercial and we will man i haven't i don't usually do commercial on these hot takes i guess i will because i told you guys i would um yeah let's go to commercial and then we will uh we will come back do the last few hot takes and the listener mail that i have Hey guys, Josh McKinney here, interrupting the episode to tell you about something really exciting that we have going on at simplifyingjujitsu.com. So until the end of the year, we are still selling this seminar, actually two different seminars that I did on chest over chest. Um, this is going to become unavailable uh, on January 1st, just because um, I'm kind of moving it out of the way for something new that we have coming out. And uh, what this seminar will do, what these seminars will do, is they will help you understand what is happening when you are trying to pass the card. When you are getting swept, when you're getting submitted, they will show you why it is simply not understanding the distance that is causing you to get swept and submitted. 
And what will start to happen is you will be able to learn how to actually get to the distance that you want to. And this will make all of your guard passes feel so much better, feel so much easier, and be so much more successful. And so this is only available at simplifyingjujitsu.com. These are my chest over chest seminars. One I taught at Parada Jiu-Jitsu. The other I taught at Watson Martial Arts just a couple months ago. And then on top of that, it comes with a bonus called The Pinch. This is another seminar I taught that is about upper body control and about how controlling the trap in the armpit is all you need in order to keep people from moving, to keep people from bridging, to keep people from escaping once you finally get around their guard and you can start to pin them down. And so that is available only at simplifyingjujitsu.com. I'll make sure to link this into the description. And again, this is only available until the end of the year. Let's go ahead and get back to the episode. we're back let's get into our next hot take um i have three more hot takes that we'll go to and then um like i said we'll finish with a listener mail question today and so next one when the instructor disapproves of cross training soft that's that was in this hot take um i agree i think that that is uh that is soft i think that so often the reason and I'm not trying to bash your professor. You know, I'm not trying to bash your coach. But um, when when somebody disapproves of cross-training, to me, there is no basis for it. Um, someone was pointing out to me that in, like, 2015, uh, when I opened my school, that I had open mats open to all schools. And they were like, man, you know you really think about it. That was so uncommon even back then. You know, it was only eight years ago. It was like, like black belts were actually lecturing me. I was a purple belt. I was actually getting lectured on, by black belts about how I shouldn't, at my own school, allow cross training. And they would say things like, well, you know, then they're going to, when your guys compete against these guys, they're going to know how to compete against each other or, you know, whatever. And I, I would get that a lot, actually. And, um, you know, I'll hit this from a few different points. One, when I, when I was doing that, like for me personally, a lot of great friendships that I have, and then you could argue that like tack team in my area was kind of built up by the fact that we allowed cross training and there were these good black belts that we were getting to train with a lot. And a lot of them had become Ronins at different points and we all were friends already. And so it wasn't like we were trying to, you know, like, get these other black belts to come on our team. It was just like, hey, this guy's really good and he actually doesn't have an affiliation and he wants to have an affiliation. And so um, that mentality of of being willing to train with guys, but then also like being from, you know, I'm in Illinois, but just like the St. Louis area. Uh, and, you know, when I, when I do that, yes, when we all go to compete at the St. Louis Open or we go to compete at a local tournament, yes, our guys are trying to beat each other. But the truth is, those tournaments are just practice for the big tournaments. Our guys are trying to win those divisions at the big tournaments. And to say that there is enough for any guy in our area in just one school, I don't buy it. Uh, it just doesn't seem to be the case. There is enough, though, in our area for one guy to win something big. 
if he gets to train with all kinds of different people. And it's like, I teach a very specific way. And then maybe the, co the, the coach down the road, he teaches a very specific way or just teaches very specific techniques, even though apparently they don't exist. Um, you know, he teaches very specific techniques and I teach very specific techniques. And what if the first time my student at Blue Belt sees this specific style of passing is in a tournament? I'm doing him a disservice, especially the, when I know that I could just set him up way better by letting him get some cross training, right? And so, um, you know, so the people that act like, like, oh, well, they're gonna steal your secrets or something. Yeah, but I don't have any secrets. My secrets are that my guys get a lot of really good reps. And then when they're losing to something or when we're all losing to something, we're like, man, we can't deal with leg weave passing. It gets exposed in training and then we get to spend time figuring out how to deal with leg weave passing. Right. Instead of being like, man, we've lost the last four tournaments getting leg weave passed. We're like we just lost at open mat getting leg weave passed. And so for me, I just think that so many people should benefit by getting reps with other people. And I think the reason other coaches don't do it or there are still coaches that don't do it or very, very against it um, is because they fear that their lack of knowledge is going to be exposed. But that's too small-minded. Because you're going to tell me that you have more knowledge than these guys online that are teaching and that are some of the best coaches in the world and they're teaching? You probably don't. And so it's not knowledge. It's not just like your students are going to leave if you don't have a vast array if you're not the smartest grappling coach in the world. Most of being a coach is setting your students up with the right training and getting the right bodies in there to get the right reps. And so if you're afraid of that, I think that you are, I just think you're living in the past. Um, you know, you, your guys would be so much more benefit, would benefit so much more if they just got reps with other guys. And so, um, you know, I, I think about this at all the time with how good jujitsu has gotten in our area and how I have gotten to train with most everybody in our area, right? And it's because I'm just not worried about it. It's just like, who, who cares? You know, we will get those reps. If we have my best purple belt and your best purple belt, if they were to get a ton of reps against each other, they are both going to get better. Maybe they do meet at a tournament one day, but at least they're going to both be better, and at least they're going to beat all the Brazilians for American jiu-jitsu, right? Come on. Um, being forced to wear only the team gear so the school can make extra money. Dumb. Um, I'll buy that. I don't, I don't like it. But you know what? To each their own. I think that some schools do this. You know, Obviously, that's, that's why they do this like that's that it's it's a money thing um but i do think that you could probably brand your school in a really good way if you only let your guys wear a specific key right if everybody wears a specific color my branding is the opposite of that it it had not you know people just wear whatever gi they want um but yeah i don't i don't i don't love it i think don't worry uh you know 
I don't think it hurts your students jujitsu to have a blue gi, um, you know, have a black gi. I get for the pictures that you want it to be a certain way or or whatever, but uh, you know what? The pictures are all ridiculous anyway. We're all wearing bathrobes, so excited that we have different belt colors to tie our bathrobes, right? And so, yeah, I I'm not into it. You don't. You come to head nod. You can wear whatever whatever gi you want as long as it's an I suck a jujitsu show gi, uh, but. Yeah, I don't buy it. This one I thought was interesting. BJJ is turning into karate, and the belts are being watered down. So I think to an extent, yeah, I think that this probably is true. Um, but it, it's, it really is tough to say because I have there is no argument that that a lot of the guys that were purple belts and brown belts – 10 years ago that I got to train with that they wouldn't, they really wouldn't hold a candle to, to my purple and brown belts. Now, a lot of them, not everybody, but just a lot of people. And the reason I say that is because there is so much more knowledge out there for the guys. Now we train better, you know, we're not training in fitness centers on puzzle mats anymore, getting to train twice a week. Right. And it's not like, Everybody's training for MMA. Like people are actually specifically training for jujitsu. There's so many more coaches. Um, there's just so much more volume of training. And so, yes, I do think that like people get promoted faster. But I, I really do think if we were to step back and look at it as coaches, like I said, I've been doing this for almost 16 years now. When I look at that, I can go, okay, well, blue belts back then, like. I really, I really dominated blue belt in the Midwest by just knowing what spider guard was. I was able to be so good just knowing what it was. People just didn't know back then, had no idea. And now blue belts have to be able to defend spider guard. They have to be able to defend Baron Bolo. They have to be able to defend all these other positions. They have to, you know, people actually leg lock now. And blue belts have really good straight ankle locks now. And so... Jiu-jitsu is different, um, and yes, it is evolving, and it is being Americanized, just like karate was Americanized, right? Karate was not what we see now when we go to a, a karate studio in America. Um, that is not how, that's not how it started. What started to happen is, is rules started to get to added in place, and they tried to make it more family-friendly. They tried to make it more... Um, you know, more of a business, more Americanized. And that is going to happen with jujitsu. But the truth is that needs to happen with jujitsu. And I know that this offends so many people that want to train hard. Um, and, you know, like, but that's why you can run your own school. And that's why you can say, well, like for me, we don't train that way. It had not, you know, you are not, our belts are not watered down. Nobody that you roll with, you go like, oh, this guy doesn't deserve his belt. A lot of guys you roll with, you go, man, Josh is a really hard promoter. You know, Josh is really strict on promotions. And um, even though those guys get good fast. Uh, and so, but you're going to like for jujitsu to be relevant for the masses, which is what it needs to be in order for coaches to have more opportunity to make money 
And for so many people, you know, you look at how many people there are now. Jiu-Jitsu is going to evolve. It's like this problem that so many coaches have. Um, I have an episode coming out December 28th with Matt Kwan, and we get into this about how so few coaches are prepared for their students to leave and start their own school. And it's this like this big controversy to go start your own school. And the problem with that being controversial for you not be you shouldn't be allowed to start your own school or you should you need to travel two hours away to start your own school is jujitsu's growing too fast eventually every town is going to have a bunch of gyms when you go to california where jujitsu is still more ahead you go to southern california where jujitsu is more ahead you travel down like every street and it seems like there's a jujitsu school and you know when i started in the midwest there were like three total jujitsu schools within an hour and a half driving distance. And you go, okay, well, well, that means jujitsu is growing. And so it's going to have to, in order to grow, it's going to have to, you're going to have to have schools that do it a little more like karate, that do it a little simpler and do it um, a little softer. But that doesn't mean that you have to do that. That is the beauty of jujitsu competition, is it will always show in competition. If what these guys are learning doesn't work, if they're spending half of their class doing, doing drills that aren't effective, guess what's going to happen when they go in and they try to compete? They're going to lose. And so everything will be right in the world. And so don't worry about, you know, this, these people don't train right. These people don't train right. Nobody is training right. Again, all it's going to do is ruin jujitsu for you. Do you think me, that I, after 16 years, love to see <laughs> the, the softness of jujitsu? No. I think so many people, for efficiency and effectiveness state, uh, uh, sake, do not train correctly. But that's, they still get joy out of doing jujitsu. So who cares? They can go suck. That's their God-given right is to suck. Now, it's annoying if they're like, oh, well, you know, we, we're the best. We're the, we have the most effective methods of training, and then those guys suck, right? That's why competition is beautiful is because you get to go prove it in jiu-jitsu. It's just like Joe Rogan has this thing where he's like, you just you can't lie to yourself with jiu-jitsu. He's like, either you get submitted or you don't right? You get beat up or you don't. And so that is why it isn't a big deal for people to hand out belts. Doesn't make those guys good. It doesn't make, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, you, you see the, their black belt go with, with your blue belt and your blue belt thrashes them. Who cares? You know, that's good. That means you're doing your job. That means you are you're helping your blue belts, right? You're doing what you're supposed to do. And the thing is, when you focus on what other people are in control of, you it steals your joy. It is so frustrating. It is so um, discouraging for so many people to do that. And so, yeah, my I guess my main advice is let everybody suck. Let everybody do whatever they want. Let everybody call jujitsu what they want. Let them wear what they want. Control what you can control. If you don't own a school, you control yourself. You control where you train. Train somewhere that matches up to your ideas. 
train somewhere that matches up to where you want to train and what you value. If you know, it's just it's so easy to get caught up in this like finding the the one to five percent that we are so different uh, about. But the truth is, we all love jujitsu, and so that's my hot take is is you have way more in common with the people that you hate in the jujitsu space than you know most don't get me wrong if you hate them because of morals that's different i get that um but if you hate them because of training method if you hate them because of terminology um if you hate them for any other reason like that you have way more in common than with them than you do for anybody at the christmas party that you're going to be at and so you know you you just kind of you should probably look at look at yourself in the mirror and and just realize that it's it's your self hate that you are that you're throwing on other people. Um, so stop stop doing that. Now let's look at one listener mail question. This will finish us out. And um, I just I liked this question. I know we're not doing a Q and A episode, but I just liked this one and thought it might be helpful. So, hi, Josh, just listened to your episode with Henry Akins. I loved it. I'm an older purple belt and have taken to rolling pretty relaxed these days as well, and frankly, it made things much more fun. One question I've had, though, is I've been trying to go back a bit to fix some fundamentals, such as posture. As Wim Deputer would say, would put it, having formed tension and just keeping slight tension to keep you your spine aligned and to not bend your neck to it, how do you think that plays into being relaxed? Can you be both in slight tension with straight posture and still be relaxed? Thanks for taking the time to read this. Um, so yes, I do. I think you can definitely have posture. You know, you can definitely have tension in your body with still being relaxed. I don't think you're completely relaxed. It's the problem is when you start to get pulled on. Um, so like, let's say that for me, my elbows are tight, but I am, I am relaxed. Right. Um, and the, again, if you didn't listen to that episode, that episode is one of my favorites, actually the most listened to episode in 2023, uh, is the, the Henry Akins episode that I did. But, um, we talk a lot about, this idea of rolling without strength and in kind of how he puts it in perspective. And um, I explained that I've always thought of rolling without strength as like 20% is your baseline, right? At 20% intensity. And he explained it as, no, maybe 5% should be your baseline of how much strength and speed and effort you're putting into it. And um, uh, something I've started to understand more is you don't want to completely sacrifice effectiveness, right? And so, for instance, if your goal is to not get submitted and you are, and again, this is from having more conversations, not on the podcast, in secret, so you guys can't benefit from them, only me, um, with with Henry. And um, you can check out hiddenjujitsu.com, shout out, shout out hiddenjujitsu.com and uh, Henry Akins for all the help that he's given me. But... Um, uh, for instance, if I am completely relaxed and my students are arm barring me a bunch and submitting me, but I'm like completely relaxed, is that effective? Is that helping me? Like, yes, it's efficient, but it is not effective. I'm not being effective in my relaxation, right? I'm losing a bunch. And so if my goal is to not get submitted, is to master not getting submitted, 
being too relaxed, you know, almost to a point of laziness that is getting me, that is making me ineffective, that is when it's not useful. I want to still be effective. So maybe your goal is to not get submitted. And so you want to find the minimal effort that you can put out to not get submitted. And so, yes, you're going to have some tension. You're going to pull on some things. You're going to, and you're going to continue to be, become more efficient. You're going to continue to, man, like I, man, I was using a little bit of strength in that spot. Next time I'm not, you know, and you kind of feel your way through it. If you're trying to get better at guard passing, you're going to try to be more efficient. If you're like not passing any guards, you should probably be a, a little less efficient so you can be a little bit effective, right? Um, because then once you start to win and you know, pass the guards, that's when you can start to take away those physical attributes again. Right. And so, um, you know, with that being said, that's kind of how I looked at it. And this is again, this is something um, I was just talking to Henry yesterday and he was explaining this to me and was helping me a lot was understanding the difference between efficiency and effectiveness. I'm sure I'll have him on sometime in 2024 and we will dig into that because that topic was uh, really, really good for me just talking about it yesterday. Um, But that is pretty much all that I have for you guys today. Um, we are, we are I really liked the, the, the schedule of six episodes this month instead of doing either eight or four. Um, hopefully you guys liked it. I can tell by listens that people are listening to the show, listening to episodes more. And, um, it also has been really nice that it's put me ahead on the podcast, knowing which episodes are coming out, you know, and, um, you know, being able to do that has been so helpful for me. And then I really think at the beginning of the year, I'm going to be able to share with you guys um, what I've been working on. I'll give you a little spoiler. It is a new I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show website. And with that, um, there are going to be a few parts of the website that are going to be really cool, one of which being a premium podcast, a pro podcast, if you will. And it will be all about, I won't give too much away, but it will be all about taking what we, the information that we get on the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show and actually applying it simply and specifically. We're going to do some competition mindset um, episodes, some competition in general episodes. We're going to look at all kinds of the layers of jujitsu competition and um, you know, go from what to pack in your bag, how to prep for a tournament, how to decide what tournament to go to, and, um, you know, and then eventually how to look at trying to come in with the right mindset, with the right warm-up to win that tournament, and then how to exit that tournament, how to take what just happened and learn from it. Um, And so that's one. uh, The other one, this is the one that I'm actually most excited about. Uh, Six years ago, yeah, six years ago, was the first time I ever developed a jiu-jitsu product, and it never went to market. Um, I have literally had this product sitting for six years, and um, it is it really is what built the end goal method of training. And so episodes one and episode 99, I did on the end goal method of training. And then actually episode 198, I touched on it again. Um, but the reason it was episode one is because it was the first real cool idea that I had that wasn't common in the jujitsu space. And so um, what it is, what this product is, is master any position in six weeks. 
And um, I am so excited to share with you guys. It's going to be, these are going to be series of episodes that you're going to get, um, going to be able to check out. And it's going to be like, I think that's going to be seven episodes and, uh, you know, one giving you context on how you're going to do it. And then one for each week and what you're going to be doing that week. And then of course they can, you know, be used over a two week span or a month span or something like that. But um, all of these, I'm so excited to share with you guys. I'm working diligently on it. Um, that's why it's been nice to be ahead on the podcast because uh, it lets me focus a little more on the product or the, the premium uh, podcast. And so, uh, yeah, that being said, if you guys have any questions until the end of the year, you can message me on Instagram and send me an email, josh at simplifyingjujitsu.com, um, to ask any questions uh, for any of these kind of Q&A or hot take episodes. And um, but, once, but once the year starts, we're going to have a spot on the site for you to be able to ask anything. And um, so anytime you have a question, you're going to be able to go to your bookmarked favorite websites and click on the I Second Jiu Jitsu Show and go into the questions and ask me anything. And it's going to be helpful for me to get more context from you guys, get more information from you guys, um, but also hopefully helpful for you so you can kind of get my perspective on whatever you're dealing with in the Jiu Jitsu space. And so that is all that I have for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hope you keep listening to the I Second Jiu Jitsu Show. And uh, most importantly, I hope that today's episode helps you guys suck just a little bit less at jujitsu. Have a great day, guys.